All right, guys, I need you to do something for me, okay? Can each of you take a piece of paper here? Just one. Okay, this is going to be difficult, so you really need to pay attention. Can you hold it in front of your face for me? Just like that. Can you tell me what color it is? It's pink. Oh my goodness, you guys have too many lights. Can you shut off all the colored lights? Come on up here. What color is this piece of paper? This is supposed to be easy. Goodness, what kind of education you guys get around here. Okay, what color is this paper? It's white, correct? Okay, good, my goodness. There you go, got a gift for you. Here, I'm gonna give you that one because you think it's pink already. Can you please put those on for me? And if you guys ever want to take a picture of them looking good, there you go, right there. Now, look at your piece of paper. What color is that piece of paper? Is it pink? It's, you think it's red? You think it looks, it's yellow? What color is yours? Is it blue? Is it yellow? Is it red? Or is it white? It's really white, right? But why does it look blue? Because you got blue glasses on. Why is hers red? Is she wrong that it looks red? Because she has red glasses on. If she were to come in and tell you that that is red and not blue and you guys were having a conversation talking about that piece of paper, would that drive you crazy if you didn't see her glasses? Why? Would you think she's wrong? But is she? To you, she's wrong, but to her, she's right, and why? Because I'm wearing blue glasses and she's wearing red. See how difficult that was? And all the time, you're just staying out of this, aren't you? Yeah, saying, I'm not going to get in the middle of this one here. Because yours is yellow, and they're both wrong, right? Because women are always wrong? Oh, okay. I don't know whose parent that is. We better talk to him, because he just said women are always wrong. So, um, it's not a good start. Okay? Okay, that was it. There you go. Thank you. That's all I needed. So just, I mean, obviously you've already heard him talk a little bit, but I just want to introduce real quickly to you, um, Jared, I didn't grab your stand, but we can grab one for you. Uh, this is my oldest brother, Jared, which is why I made the comment about almost as good a looking as your lead pastor, but uh, this morning, so Jared has been taking my home church through a conversation on just kind of this discovery of, you know, who God has made you to be and and what that looks like, and you know, you're going to hear him talk a little bit. I don't want to talk a whole lot about that, but as I've been watching their videos and having conversations with Jared, we got to spend some time in Denver at the Church of God convention recently. Um, more and more, I started thinking, man, we need to we need to talk about that here. And then as I started thinking about that, I said, why not just find an excuse to bring my oldest brother out here and let him share it with you instead of me taking all of his stuff and acting like it was my stuff. Um, so I invited him out here to share with us this morning. Uh, on a personal level, yes, he is my oldest brother, but I would also say that when it comes to ministry, um, he is one of the most influential people that I've had in my life as far as someone that I know that I can get on the phone with, I can have conversations with, uh, we, can, we can share notes back and forth. He was a youth pastor first, and then he became a lead pastor just like I did so throughout the whole course of things, he's about 20 years ahead of me on all this, not really 20, but it feels that way sometimes. Um, but it's just a lot of the, the things that I am, 
are because of conversations that I've had with him. So blame him for all the bad things as you listen to him this morning as to where I'm at right now. But hopefully um, you'll be able to hear something this morning that you take home and you realize, man, God really did want me to walk away with that. So would you please welcome Jared Brown. I can tell you that I knew at some point he would say the not-so-good-looking brother because that's pretty much where we always go with that. And if I'm being honest, it's, I already know. It's true. I'm, I'm older, grayer, and um, just everything that comes with that. Like he said, um, he said it was an excuse to get out here and see you. Is that normal? Well, it's okay. I mean, less nervous if I don't see it. Just, I made a comment about the lights, and here we go. Um, he said it was an excuse to come out and see, and it kind of was for me, too, because uh, I'm proud of Justin and what I see him doing and hearing just who he is and getting to spend time in Denver with him um, and getting to talk to him and hear what's taking place and some of the dreams that he has and, and then getting to meet some of the board yesterday and have a meal with them at a, what was it called, the Red Wagon, never heard of it, um, but it was good there and just be able to do that. I've been watching and wondering, what is this place? My dad's been out here, and he's been out here to visit you guys, he brags about it. I keep hearing it's this town that's smaller than Joaquini, but there's more people than Joaquini because of everything, and I can't figure out what that looks like, and now I know. Um, I can tell you, just as a church building, and church congregation, you're probably twice the size of what we have every, um, in Joaquini. The building, just the sanctuary, is twice the size or more of what we're used to being in. Um, but when you walk through the town, you wonder how, and now I understand with the surrounding and, and just everything else that you have around here. So I've just been excited to come and just see it and see where he is and, and what he's a part of. And, and it's just been neat to have the last couple days here. I am... Um, Really getting to know, what's it called, Speedy Pete's or Speedy something? Yeah? Yeah? Um, I know what the guy that works in there is going to say to me every day when I tell him to have a good day. He's going to try. So I encourage you guys to go on in and uh, help him, you know, as he can. kind of hope he's not here because that would probably be bad, huh? Now that I just said that. Anyway, go in there and help him and, and um, have a good day every day. But... Um, I did get asked yesterday, and this made me a little nervous, and I don't remember which one it was that asked me, because we went to my niece's cross-country meet, which actually was kind of hard for me, because my son ran cross-country two years ago. He's going to be a senior this year, and he did really well. He actually went to state, and we enjoyed watching him, but uh, just some stuff with that coach they had at the time really burned out all the runners and everything, and so he's not going to run anymore. He is really turned off to cross country and running. So getting to watch that yesterday was kind of neat and kind of sad just getting to be around that environment of watching cross country. But while I was there, I got to meet a few folks and one of the first questions I was asked was, do you also preach in jeans with holes in them? <laughs> the answer is no, I do not. So for you, you can take a deep breath. Uh, I do normally preach in jeans uh, but my wife told me, not this time you're not. You're not going somewhere else. We just bought you a new pair of nice pants. Wear those. And so I actually had to iron for the first time in like a year and a half today after packing this and being here. 
Um, I don't preach in jeans with holes. Main reason is because I am not a millennial. I'm a Gen Xer, and if I'm a Gen Xer preaching in tight jeans with holes, I look like a Gen Xer trying to be a millennial, and that's just stupid. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. I don't, I don't get it. In fact, whenever we do watch her or my wife sees Justin, she goes, he is definitely the millennial in the family, and you are the Gen Xer. I just say, no, he's definitely adopted, and we're normal. So we just go with, with the rest of that. But that was the first question that was asked, and I can put you at ease, as you can see, I don't wear jeans with holes in them. The second question I was asked was, uh, I heard, or maybe it was more of a statement than a question, was I heard you preach longer than him. That's a possibility, all right? Um, that, that could be, I tend to kind of get going or get excited about it, and, but I really worked at trying not to on that because I don't want him to have that claim over me. So I've been going back and watching how long he preaches the last two months and seeing where that is. Um, but it made me a little nervous that maybe you guys are going to be watching that. So one thing because of that, and especially with this topic that I'm talking on that I'm pretty passionate about, I've realized that I can get going. And that's one reason I've started sitting down. <laughs> it makes me kind of stay more with, here's what's in front of me, here's the script, here's or the script, the, the, the stuff that I've thought through and prepared. And, um, and so it just comes across quite different. And I will not be near as charismatic, as outgoing, as whatever you want to call it, as Justin. We really do at times wonder if he's adopted. He is the only one that acts like he acts in our family. It's not really a bad thing, but the rest of us are a lot more reserved, laid back. He has never been afraid of anything, even when my mom had us dressing up as stupid little robots singing input, output, or I don't ever want to grow up, and all that kind of stuff. Um, he's always been the more going, we're the more laid back here. So um, I'm just going to sit and just talk to you for a minute. But I also do it because what we're talking about, I just feel like it maybe kind of puts us a little more at ease and just say we're just, in a way, going to have a conversation, even though obviously you're not necessarily going to be talking back. Maybe later you'll have something you want to ask, something you want to share, and I'm all for that. I love to talk about this. But I just want to have a talk, a conversation, um, not just with you, but it's something that I felt about the church, those of us who call ourselves the church. Um, they were part of the church for quite a long time. So as I do, I want to read to you something. It was an email that I receive on a regular basis. I mean, I receive emails from this guy named Ian Cron. Some of you have heard of him because you've read his book, The Road Back to You. And I get a, a regular weekly email, and I got one not too long ago that just stuck with me. I've modified it a little bit. But it said, what if the stories we tell ourselves and others about who we are and who we are becoming aren't true? As human beings, we understand our lives as narratives. We acquire stories very early in life as a way to find meaning and to make sense of our experiences, either real or perceived. These stories shape what we believe about who we are in the world, which in turn shape our personalities. They hold incredible influence over our thoughts and over our feelings and over our actions. And they distort the lens through which we see the world. He said, what if we had the opportunity to take off that lens and ask ourselves, is this actually true? Is this actually a clear depiction of reality, or is it somehow bent? We would probably see that the story isn't always true. 
Unfortunately, when we acquire one of these stories and make it the large dominant narrative of our life, we become trapped in a constricted world. Our work then is to find the thread of our own story amid the cables and the knots and the networks of our broken stories. This is how we grow. He says, I think it's what Merton meant when he said, for me to become a saint means to become myself. It means to find our real story and become our true selves. For only our true selves bring glory to God. I'll be honest. It's difficult for us to find and inhabit our true story, but we can and we must. Let me just ask a quick question. Do you still desire to bring glory to God with your life? Do we? Do we still believe that we need to grow? Or have we figured it out? We need to start today with those two questions. Because if we say no to either one of those, you aren't going to care about anything else that's said today. But if we still say, yeah, I, there's still something there. I know I got room for growth. I've still got growth. To do. There's still things I don't understand. And I still want to bring glory to God with my life. I invite you to join me just hearing this today. But let's, let's pray together, would you? Just, take, just bow your head. I like to do that just because of the distractions around us. And just take a deep breath for a minute. If you're like me and my life and those around us, we just need to take a breath and really take serious what God says when he says, just be still and know that I'm God. God, as we sit here in this place, you know that I feel out of place, not, not because of them, but because I'm in a new place with people I don't know. And God, one hand, that's, this is awesome. It's great to be here. On the other hand, it's terrifying because you don't know. Maybe they feel out of place sitting out here looking and listening to me because they don't know me. They wonder what's coming, what's about to be said. you know exactly what place we're all in and how we're feeling. And I just pray that as we walk through this time together, that you would meet us right with where we're feeling, right with what we're thinking, right with what we're dealing with, and help us to just bring it and put it at your feet. Not push it aside, but bring it and put it at your feet. In other words, Lord, to take our crowns and lay them in front of you. To take our burdens and lay them at your feet and ask you to do what you need to do with them before we get ready to do another week, another day, or even another hour with this breath that you've given us. God, I pray again that you would just give me clarity as I share and clear ears as everyone hears what's said. But at the same time, help us to hear what we need to hear in the midst of this with wherever we're at. Thank you again for this opportunity, for this moment, for this time that we often take so for granted to be able to just stop in your presence with each other and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen.
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Anybody heard of that? The slide doesn't go up quite yet. <laughs> In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When's the last time we've read that? When you go through, it's really pretty, quite amazing. In that beginning time when he's creating this, it says, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Then God said, let there be vault between the waters to separate water from water. And it happened. Then God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it happened. Then God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times, the days and the years. And it happened. Then God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. And it happened. Then God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind, and it was so. You know, I've told you in the mornings I've been taking walks, and just for some reason the other day, uh, there's an app called the Dwell app. Um, Matt Chandler says it's the app that makes him want to punch the devil in the face. I don't quite know what that means yet, but it's something good, I think. But it's the Bible, narrated, or not narrated, just read, in a way that just, just is here. And I was walking through town here, and um, it was before everybody was really up, really going. And it is amazing how many birds you have out here as the sun is coming up. And, of course, you're next to the fields. And as you're listening to this and you're looking out, you're going, man, this is amazing. You guys live in an amazing part of the country. I can tell you this. It's a lot greener here than it is back home in Joaquini. It's beautiful. It's humid. That part stinks. That's ridiculous. But the rest of it is great. And I'm walking and I'm thinking of that. But then soon I'm listening and all of a sudden cars started going by on Main Street, which it's amazing how many cars go by on Main Street. And then it was getting hard to actually hear what was being read through the app and to hear the birds and stuff. And I found myself getting frustrated because I realized that all the noise that was starting to kick in, even though there's not a lot here, but even what was there was making it hard for me to pay attention to and realize what I was just experiencing. And so often that happens in our lives and we forget in all the noise, God created all this with his word. God just said, and there it was. But we haven't even got to maybe the best, most amazing thing that God created because then it says, then God said, let us make Mankind. After all this other, then he says, let us make mankind, and let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And it shares so that they can rule over these things that he created. But it says, so God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then God sat back and saw all that he made and said, man, that is good. That is very good. The only thing created in his image was mankind. 
in the midst of everything that was experienced, everything that was done, everything that was put out there, then he makes mankind in his own image. In his own image, he created them. And he said, that is good. Monroe City and wherever else you come, I can't even say all the names of these towns yet. What's the one we went to to get coffee? I keep saying it wrong. Vin Sins. I should remember Sins. Then I'll add Vin. Then I'll get it. Then we'll go from there. That's probably not good either, huh? Vin Sins, Washington. I don't think they come from Evansville, but I just want to remind you of something this morning. Just as God created the first man and woman, God also created you and everyone you see sitting around you and everyone you're going to go out and meet this week. Just as real as what I read happened in the beginning happened with you and everyone else in here. And if there's nothing else that you get today, I hope we at least hear that. Because we need to understand that along with that is the truth that was written by the words of David in the psalm when he says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made because your works are wonderful. And I know that full well. Every time I read this passage of scripture, I'm taken back about 15 years when I was in Portland, Oregon as a youth pastor at a church called Holiday Park Church of God, which actually no longer exists as a body. They disbanded a few years ago. They sold their building. Another church is there now called Bridgetown Church. And so, but I'm always taken back there when I was a youth pastor, and I think of one particular thing that would happen on a weekly basis. There's a group of ladies that would come in every Thursday, and we called them the quilting ladies because that's what they did. They quilted. And I would go in there every, just about every Thursday when I was around because I was the young youth pastor. They were the older ladies, and you could get them to like you real easily because, you know, the young youth pastor with the old ladies and made you feel good to go in and visit them and have them all happy because they came in and paid attention. But when you would go in, they would be in this room, it was our fireside room, and there could be four of them or there could be 14, it just depended on uh, the week that was there. And you would walk into the room and they would have this quilt. It wasn't just a little quilt, it wasn't sitting in rocking chairs with little quilts doing this, it was one great big quilt that was stretched out, and I don't know knitting or quilting, I'm, and so whatever they're called, things that stretched out the quilt, and they would have that thing stretched out, and these ladies would be sitting around it, and they would just be sitting there with a pattern in front of them that somebody had given them in each of their spots, and that piece of paper would be there. And I'd walk in, and there'd be a lady sitting here, and a lady sitting here, and a lady sitting here, and she would have her, her needle and string or yarn or whatever the stuff's called that they would, they would put it through, and, and they would be sitting there, and every time you'd walk in, you would just watch them. They're sitting there drinking coffee, gossiping, all the stuff that they're going to be doing there. They pretend like they weren't. But they're sitting around that, that quilt and looking at that pattern and one stitch at a time, they're quilting that thing. And sometimes some of these quilts would take five, six, seven, eight, nine months to get done. And so every time I read that passage of scripture from David, what he wrote there, I just picture God with each one of us while we're in our mother's womb 
six, seven, eight, nine, maybe ten months, whatever, however it, it turned out, going, I knit you together like that. One stitch at a time, with a plan, with a purpose, with something in front of me, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made because my works are wonderful. And if there's nothing else that we get today, I hope that we hear that. I hope that we understand that because I believe that we really struggle with accepting this. If you don't believe me, you tell me what you said about yourself the last time you were getting ready in front of the mirror and what you thought about yourself. We struggle with accepting who we are and believing that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. We struggle with believing that about other people. If you don't think so, then let me just ask you, what's the last thing you said when you ran across someone that you don't really agree with, that you don't like, that rubs you the wrong way? We struggle with this idea that we are created in the image of God and we are created wonderfully, fearfully, with a plan by God in mind. And I say all that to one, say, if nothing else, I hope you hear that today. The second of all, to get a little deeper into the main purpose I'm here, with that being set up, to dig in and say that in this, we each contain some characteristics of God in our lives. Every person sitting in this room actually contains some characteristics of God, and we're given a purpose for how he wants us to reflect these particular characteristics of him to others and just to the world as a whole. Within every person sitting in this room, see, we are all a part of that story that he began long ago. And as part of that story, he wants us to reflect him and his characteristics that were made in the image of him to those around us. He desires that we bring out who we are to the world by reflecting him as uniquely us. R.C. Sproul once wrote, he says, part of the uniqueness of the human race is the mission we have received from God to be his representative to the rest of creation, to reflect the very character of God. He says, we who were created in the image of God are to reflect the image of God. Jesus didn't use those exact words in that way, but he said, you're the salt of the earth. Then he goes on and says, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Way before R.C. Sproul, Jesus said, I want you to shine. And I think he understood that he wanted us to shine with who we were created to be and the image of God that we were created in. And the best way we can do that is to actually give in to his ultimate desire to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and actually love our neighbor as ourselves. But in order to do this to the best of our ability, it obviously takes knowing God through relationship with him and through the example that is set before us through the life of Jesus, but it, it, it takes living by the spirit instead of living by the flesh, but it also takes an understanding of this me that I was created to be. It takes actually knowing who 
I was fearfully and wonderfully created to be. Who I was knit together to be by the one whose works are so wonderful. We have a really hard time going out and reflecting that image, being light, being salt, loving God, loving our neighbor, loving ourselves, if we don't even actually really know who we are. And in order to really shine, it's not just understanding ourselves, but it's helping others understand who they are and who God created them to be and letting them reflect as well. Because here's the deal. We aren't all the same. And we're not supposed to be. And that's okay. Somebody here today thought that I was Justin for a moment, just put on glasses and finally got a normal haircut. And it threw him off for a minute. So there's a lot of similarities. In fact, I think, if I remember right, Justin, um, we've been the ones that have been compared to look in the closest together in our family of all our brothers. So there's a lot of similarities, but like I told you, we're not the same. No matter how similar we may be, no matter um, who our family, the fact that we came from the same bloodline, grew up in the same house, had the same parents, had the same kind of upbringing and training and everything else, no matter how much of that happened, there's going to be something uniquely different with Justin and something uniquely different with me. And that goes for every single person in this room. The person you're sitting next to is not like you. I didn't say does not like you. I said is not like you. And you are not like them. The truth is, going back to what we did at the beginning, they have a little different color of glasses on with the image that they were created in. And that makes them a little bit different. However, as a life coach of mine shared with me, Each of us are exactly who God created us to be because we are created in his image as his image bearers, but we're finite and we can only reflect a part of his character. But God placed in each of us a portion of his character so that together as people we could reflect the whole of his character. And here's the deal. I finally realized, it took me a long time, that I knew this but I didn't really believe it. And when I had to be honest with myself, I began to realize that I had spent a big, 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 big portion of my ministry, of my marriage, of my relationships and friendships and acquaintances, trying to make people look and act and think like me, or at least look and act and think the way that I thought that they should act and not actually let them be who God created them to be. You wanna know how to get in a fight with your wife? Try and make them think the way you think all the time and do what you think they ought to do and be what you think they ought to be. But even scary was the fact I was doing this in ministry with people that you're just called to love. Eventually, I realized I'm not alone in this. In fact, I'm kind of groomed to do this. 
because unfortunately, this is how the church at large has operated for so many years. The beginning of when this really struck me, I don't even remember, it was when I was youth pastoring, I can't even tell you where this came from, was when I came across a little comic piece, I think we have a picture of it, and it's for leadership training, but I automatically, because my mind always does, went to the church and realized it could go to that. And I thought, that's the church. That was what I was doing, trying to do in ministry. That's what I had experienced in ministry was going out and reaching people in the world and having them, quote unquote, come in to us, which just bothers me more and more all the time. Why do they need to always come to us? I don't remember Jesus ever saying, build it and they will come. He said, go and make. But we've turned it in, we had turned it into a do this and come, and when they come in, hopefully eventually we'll get them to walk under this and they're gonna come out and look the way we think they ought to look. And we never stop to think, can we go to the next one, how many of them may be experiencing what this couple is experiencing when they say this? Think they'll notice we're visitors? Because they were walking into something that had spent so much time trying to make everybody look and act and think a certain way that when somebody different came in, we never stop to think that maybe that's what they're actually feeling. Or even if they don't come in, when you go talk to them and they hear that you're a follower of Jesus and you're a part of a church, the first thing that goes to their mind is, nope, I've tried it and that's what they're trying to do to me and that's not me. And then it really got me when just more recently a young man, not well, a little younger than me in our town, posted this one here on his Facebook page because I realized that's where we had gotten as a church because we were so focused on doing this that without even knowing it, our goal was so much about making someone look and act and think like me or at least the way I think they should look and act and think that they didn't realize that sitting among us may be someone who looks different, has different interests, has different personality, has different all that, who truly loves Jesus, but we're sitting there going, but they don't quite fit the mold. So, well, he thinks he's a Christian not really a true follower like us though and here's the thing I first saw this hmm, I don't know at least six months ago maybe a little more no actually wouldn't be a longer it had just been beginning of summer right before I started doing this by this guy that posted it right before I came here actually Tuesday night I had dinner with the guy that posted this because two weeks before that I was in Kansas City with our family having one last getaway before school started and I received a phone call from him which was the first time ever that I can remember in my life, outside of when I coached his daughter in basketball, that I got a phone call from this guy saying, I need to talk. And at the moment he was talking to me, he was so hurting that I believe he was probably pretty inebriated, but he was considering trying to do something that he had already tried once before, and that was take a gun to his head. And over a year ago, he tried. The only thing that kept it from happening was it clicked and didn't go off. And he wanted to talk to somebody because he was in so much pain and so much hurt and so much rejection again with everything going on that he was just going, God, why am I even here? And he was finding it from nobody, including the church. So Tuesday night, I was actually with the guy that posted this in Subway, and I'll tell you, he is, looks like this guy. He's a big biker, even though I'm pretty amazed. He's lost 65 pounds, he told me while he was there. He showed me his pants. He says, I'm not buying new ones till I finish this out. I think it's another 30. He was going for 100. 
but he's a big old guy, big old beard. He's a biker. He's got a rough past. He's got MS. His biking crew is trying to send him. His biking crew, his biker's crew that he rides with is the one that's rallied around him. I'm not saying that's bad that they got to be bikers. I'm just saying not the church. The biking crew has rallied around, raised funds to send him to Germany for a special treatment for his MS to try and help him because he's in so much pain. He says, probably in the next couple hours, the pill that I had to take will kick in and I'll be sicker than a dog again and have to try and figure out how to get through the night. And what he was also, the reason he was struggling is because he responded to an EMS call in a town close to us about four years ago of a young boy in our church who had shot himself, they don't know if it was accident or on purpose, in the head. And it was so bad, so bad, all those that were there are still messed up by that call. And he said he's haunted by that. And he doesn't want to go home because it goes through his head so he drinks because at least it numbs the pain until he passes out. But this guy, he'll go on a biking trip and he's been to about 35 different churches when he goes out in the summer and he goes, every time I go, I go every Sunday, he goes, because I do believe in Jesus. It doesn't seem, I don't understand what's going on. He goes, I do believe. He goes, I read my Bible to fall asleep when it's really there sometimes. um, I mean, he's got a heart of gold. He's a teddy bear. But he says, every time I go into a church, I will go in there and I will come down and I'll sit in the middle row. And he goes, it's amazing the looks that I get when I walk in there. Why? I mean, seriously, why? Other than, has the church come to that place? Doesn't look like me, probably doesn't think like me, and I guarantee he doesn't act like me. He says, usually there'll be two or three people that will finally get up and come introduce themselves. But that breaks my heart because of what we created and expected. Now, I believe, obviously, as followers of Christ, there are some things that we are called to that are an absolute truth. There is a will of God, his moral, his common will. And it's important that we teach these things to each other. It's important when we know that the paper is still white, no matter what color of lens we look at it through in some areas. But I've wondered if in the midst of that, we've crossed a line. And in our um, desire to make converts, in our human weakness, we've steered away from worrying about making converts of followers of Jesus who follow him and love him and become like him and reflect him the way that God created him to reflect him to creating followers like us or followers of us. And in the midst of that, we continue to have people that struggle with the sin and the strongholds and the thought patterns and the beliefs and the expectations that may not be as extreme as this guy they hold us captive and hold us in chains and keep us from being the image bearers of God that we're created to be. I wonder how many are sitting in this room, if they're honest, would admit they're in that place. So I've been struggling, and I felt this way for a while without knowing, but the one positive thing with COVID for me was it made us stop. But I was 
dedicated to saying, God, help me in this time. Obviously, things are different. I, I'm not meeting. It's not near as active. Can't even go see people, all that kind of stuff that was going on. And help me to take advantage of this time to get something. Because the truth is, I was struggling in ministry. It's tired. It's frustrated. Losing the passion to preach another sermon and walk off the platform and go, well, got another one done. See you all next Sunday. And know that probably nothing's really going to change. You're just going to go through the pattern again going, is this really what it's about? So I said, God, help me. And he did through that process. I don't even remember how I heard it, where I came across it. I know some of you probably heard it and have read it and appreciate it. Some of you probably heard it about it and said, not for me. But I came across a book called The Road Back to You. And to be honest with you, the more I've looked at it, I'm not a super huge fan of the author of that book and some of the things that he believes. But something about that book and what was in it caught my attention because it's about an ancient tool called the Enneagram, which is another personality type, um, whatever you call it, not test, but I mean, you take a test and everything goes on, but a personality type understanding of people and how they're created and who they're created to be. And when I read that, there was something in there that just resonated with me, that just caught me, that struck me, that made me go, my goodness, this is speaking to whatever has been dwelling within me for quite a while. Because it's not just a personality tool that tells you what you do, it actually goes deeper and says, this is why you do. It goes in there and says, it's not about what actually comes out, it's the motivations, the stuff that underlying that's in there that, that of what is the purpose for that, where that's coming from. And if you're going, okay, well, is this a Christian tool? The answer is no, it is not a Christian tool. It's not a Christian basis in there. But it's something that we can use as a tool to help us understand ourselves and who we're laying before Jesus. I look at it a lot like an x-ray machine that you can go in there and you can take a deep look at yourself and it can point out these things so that you can then take it to the doctor and say, this is where we need to work. This is where I'm really struggling still. This is where I'm still caught up in this core, whatever. Because in here, what it does is it brings up four different core parts of ourselves that we're living with on a regular basis. It brings up our core fear, that thing that we're constantly running away from and hoping doesn't happen in our life. It brings up our core desire, which is what we're always striving for and believing will bring complete fulfillment in life. It talks about and, and helps us see our core weakness that thing that when we're, when we're living in our core fear and we're desiring that core desire, this is a thing that we continually, subconsciously, habitually, whatever you want to call it, go back to and find ourselves seeking as our weakness. It's that thing like what Paul talked about when he says, hey, I don't know what I do. In fact, he, when he wrote his thing, he says, the law is spiritual, but I'm unspiritual. Soul is a slave to sin because I don't understand what I do. He says, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I love reading that fast, just to try and keep up. But I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know what good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. 
For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That's that core weakness. That when we lay our head on our pillow at night, we don't have to perform or look good for anybody. We go, God, why did I do that again? Why did that happen again? I love how he sums it up in the New Living Translation. Paul simply says, I don't really understand myself. This tool helps go in and look at our core fear, our core desire, our core weakness, and our core longing, the message that our heart is always wanting to hear, thirsting to hear, that will help us maybe meet that ache that we have as we live in this Genesis 3 world. I picked that up and I said, you know what, this is something as I went through this, we've got to approach with the church, whether it's the Enneagram, whether it's another tool, whether it's just finding a counselor with a Jesus perspective, whether it's what, it's, it's being willing to go deeper, to take a look at ourselves. This is where the church needs to go. It's being willing to talk about mental health, which, guys, do you realize we all deal with mental health? It's no different than physical health. It's just the mental part. Because what we think, we do. It's being willing to talk about and deal with emotional health, because you know what? We all deal with emotional health. And if you're going, oh, great, now he sounds like that guy that came from Oregon that's going to talk about this psycho-battle, touchy-feely stuff. I've lived in Waukini, Kansas, longer than Oregon. I'm not doing it because I'm just a touchy-feely, all that. It's because I'm going, no, this is where people are. We need to talk about it. We need to look at it. We need to dig into it for ourselves and with others, but historically, unfortunately, the church has not helped well in walking with someone as they walk through these core struggles. We've gotten nervous by it. We've become very spiritual around it and said, no, what you need is another Bible verse. What you need is just to pray this prayer. What you need is to go to another Bible study. Hang out with more Christian friends. Listen to more worship music, which are all good practices that we should apply to our lives, but without dealing with the core issues that are part of it. What we've done is created an opportunity for them to experience spiritual bypassing again, where they go and they take in another event, another moment, another whatever, and they sidestep the practical, personal, emotional, unfinished business in their lives and belittle the basic feelings and needs and concerns they have and not bring them to Jesus. In other words, we put a Band-Aid, spiritual Band-Aid, on a wound that requires way more than what you would find in your kitchen cupboard. And then we look around and we go, why aren't we being the light? This doesn't work, Jesus. The church seems to be having less influence than more. 
the church seems to be making less difference than actually helping people. Do you really know what you're talking about? And that bothers me because I love the church. And I still believe, in fact, when I get back in a couple weeks and share with ours, that the church matters. In fact, it is what Jesus said he was leaving behind to make a difference in the world. But we have to be honest with ourselves and say, first of all, we've gotten to be real with ourselves so we can be real with others and let them be real with God and who he created them to be. The surgery that is the most helpful, the most healing, I would even say the most necessary, is being willing to ask the Holy Spirit to walk us through taking a deep, honest look at ourselves so that we can get to know who we really are bad and good, better, and walk in step with the Spirit, coming alive to what he's doing versus what we think ought to be done according to our personality types, message, and motivation. The work we need to be doing starts there, what I call search me surgery, what the same guy that wrote that about being knit together in his mother's womb later in the chapter said, search me, God. And know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. I have a strong belief that the church needs to come to this point where we're willing to go there so that we can put ourselves under the x-ray machine, let the doctor do his work on us, and then be in a place where we can go to others and say, let's bring out who he created you to be. I want to get people together and help each other understand who God created us to be. And the characteristics from his image he put in each one of us and say, let's pull that out of you. And you help pull this out of me so that together we can reflect for his glory. I know you guys are talking about starting small groups coming up. And I asked the question yesterday, you know, oftentimes when we start small groups, what do we do? We find people that we're comfortable with that often think like us, that we feel like we could go and get along with. And that's okay, that's good. But what if we actually intentionally found people that rubbed us the wrong way and said, let's start a small group with them. Let's get to know them. Let's see what color of glasses they're looking out of. What if we went to that person and we go, I don't understand them, so I wanna be in their small group. And I wanna get to know them and let them get to know me. To me, that almost seems more Jesus-like because you know what he did? Does anybody watch the series right now, The Chosen? Has anybody seen that? My wife is a fanatic. I like it, but she's a fanatic. But the best thing about that series to me is how human they make those disciples and the reminder of what different personalities Jesus brought together to literally change the world. You and I are here because of that. I'm committed to that. We're starting a nonprofit, my wife and I, to help people in this particular area. I got certified as an Enneagram coach to be able to understand.